Hi, this is Nikki, and today on our podcast, I'm talking to Linda Serenverda. She is a speech-language pathologist working at S.L. Hunter Speechworks in Burlington, Ontario, Canada. And Linda's going to tell us exactly what she does and who she works with. We're going to answer some of our colleagues' questions, and she's going to let us know how speech-language pathologists and singing teachers can work together. Welcome to the Full Voice Podcast, resources for private, classroom, and choral music programs. And here's your host, Nikki Loney. Today, I am speaking with uh, Linda Sarenverda, and you are a speech-language pathologist, and you're, uh, you are uh, working out of a clinic here. Uh, we are at, actually, this is a beautiful, vibrant, and busy clinic. We're mm-hmm. at uh, SL Hunter Speechworks here in Burlington. And um, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. So we have known each other for a few years now, and we've mm-hmm. we've worked not together, but we've shared. I call them students. You yes. call them clients. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate that you've always been uh, very open and welcoming and helpful with resources and and your yeah, expertise. No mm-hmm. And I, I I consider you part of my team, um, in in a way uh, that and I and it's nice for me to know that I have someone in your profession that I can ask questions and refer people to. Right. So today, um, now this is a podcast, so people can't see, but when I look around your office, it's fun. You've got games, you've got, <laughs> you've got obviously a lot of kids come in and out of here. So yes. uh, can you just tell us um, what a typical day here at uh, SL Hunter Speechworks would be like for you? So For me? So, yes, mm-hmm. for you. <laughs> okay, well, I do, I do see a wide variety of clientele here, and the whole clinic sees everybody from infancy up to the elderly population, so it is very varied. Um, I typically work with, with kids four and up, as well as adults. So we work with acquired brain injury, stroke, uh, fluency, um, stuttering, uh, stuttering goes with the fluency, or cluttering, um, we work with um, adult swallowing, pediatric swallowing, accent reduction. There's a therapist here that does auditory verbal therapy. Wow. So yeah, there's a huge range. Uh, I myself do all the voice work along with Shanda, who is the owner. Um, so not only disorders and conditions of the voice, but also transgender voice work Oh wow! as well. And ABI, acquired brain injury, stroke, language, literacy, articulation, so just the speech sounds, um, as well as accent reduction. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, now, that sounds like really rewarding work. It is. It is. So, definitely. Can you, what, what made you want to go into this field? Well, I always wanted to be in the healthcare profession. Like, I've always sort of, you know, had a, had a passion for that kind of field. Right. So, I, did, I took psychology as an undergrad. And originally I wanted to be a psychologist, but then when I was in the course, I kind of changed my mind. (laughs) (laughs) And then I did a postgraduate course at Georgian College, which was the Communicative Disorders Assistant course. And then from there I worked for a while as a, it's called a CDA. So I worked as a CDA for a few years for the school board. And then um, I just wanted to go on and do more, learn more and do assessments and everything else. So then I went back to do my master's. For in, speech. In speech language pathology. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. I love that. And, <laughs> and how long have you been working in speech language pathology? Uh, it'll be almost 13 years. Wow. Yeah. 
That's amazing. That's <laughs> yeah. excellent. So I, I've wanted to do this podcast for a while because um, obviously uh, it, it's talking to a lot of voice teachers and I know from my own experience that sometimes somebody will come to my studio who has issues that I feel are outside of my, I'm going to use a pun here, my repertoire. Mm -hmm. um, sing, singing teachers are dealing with the voice through song and through technical exercises with vowel shapes and everything. So right. um, what, when do you, what are some obvious symptoms that you, that a voice teacher would see where it's time for us to maybe contact you or refer a student to mm -hmm. a speech language pathologist? Like mm -hmm. what, what, what or would be some of the red flags? Red flags, yeah. yeah I would say um, like persistent hoarseness of the voice. Okay. If they're feeling soreness, rawness in the throat, um, sometimes they get like a globus sensation mm. in the throat, like a lump in throat sensation. Um, which can be you know, ten tension-based or mm -hmm. um, combination of reflux and tension. Um, if they've had uh, a cold or illness and the voice hasn't resolved from that, okay. you know, within, like if it has, a, if the voice, if they're having persistent problems for about a week, right, nothing has resolved, or if there is voice loss, of course, then they should should be referred to a speech now, pathologist. Does a doctor have to refer? Uh, no. So, no. No. So we, no. we don't People even... can self-refer. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah. it's just a matter of calling an office and yeah. asking for a referral. I've definitely, if they have gone to an, an ear, nose, and throat doctor and they have nodules or polyps or ah. lesions of any kind, then then of course, yeah, they, sh they shouldn't really be singing through those. Right. They should have the And you would there. hope that the ENT would tell them this. Yes. But, yeah, uh, they, they usually do. The ones I work with would usually recommend yes, that. Yeah. That no singing. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> now, how's the best way to go about referring without stepping on toes or hurting toes. people's feelings? What, what right. would you recommend? I mean, I think overall, if they, like, I don't know if you ever do videotaping for self-awareness or biofeedback, yeah, but yeah. I wonder if they, do they recognize themselves that this, you know, is an issue? Like maybe that would be good to show mm. even the parents, like, do you notice anything that's, you know, standing out there or, right. you know, that you don't notice maybe in some other singers? Because I think overall, like the, if, if you can explain that the, the quality of the singing and the output that people hear would be much improved if they just got this this sound error or whatever it is, yeah. you know, corrected. Right. Because sometimes it could maybe even be like a resonance imbalance. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are, are, are hypernasal, right? Yes. There's too much air emission <laughs> through the nose. Right. Or if, it's, or if it's an articulation sound. Like we've worked with, I had um, an opera singer who struggled with S. Oh. And uh, it was her coaches, she's in Montreal, but it was her coaches that did recommend the speech, speech therapy wow. because they said it was interfering with her clarity, oh. overall clarity. So, so, you know, it can make a big difference if they just sort of understand that it's not, it's not just um, a speech pathologist who only, sometimes people have that, that image that we only work with, you know, kids and working right. with the and a lisp for talking purposes only right. for speaking, right? But we can also, you can transfer that. I mean, anything transfers into the, the singing world, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah, I think That's... just trying to increase their awareness of it and, right. and the benefits of what it can do for their, their vocal career if they're really serious about it. Is, is esteem, self-esteem really tied in with obviously mm -hmm. communicating, so. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, I think people with issues with their voice, it, you know, it, it affects yeah, their, their self-confidence, their self-esteem, and um, how well they represent themselves. 
So, and it's linked so closely together that there can be a lot of social like integration challenges sometimes for people right. with, depending on what the, the speech issue is. Right. And um, specifically with voice, like if it's a mild hoarseness, right. it may just be sort of an annoyance or, you know, maybe they don't, they don't sound as, as um, effective or as, as well as they normally would, you know, when they're in front of the camera or... Um, if they're they're teaching in a mm -hmm. class mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. whatever they're doing, so I think um, yeah, definitely will will affect it. Can you kind of go through what what would happen in a, in a typical voice assessment, mm -hmm. or maybe a more sure. a more um, detailed voice assessment? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. so when they come for a voice assessment, usually at the onset, we we um, when we talk to them, we figure out which we have two different types of assessments. So there is the um, uh, one and a half hour assessment, which is is case study history. So we always want to get a good history of what the issue is, and then we do some non-acoustic measures and some acoustic measures. We have the Visi Pitch program, which looks at pitch, uh, volume. It looks at it has a, a program called a multi-dimensional uh, voice profile, which gives a picture of the voice oh, wow. as well. So we have that, and that looks at perturbation, shimmer, jitter, all that kind of stuff that, that goes with voice issues. Um, and then, so that is um, the standard uh, voice assessment. And that's and about then, a half hour? That, no, that's an hour and a half. Oh, an that's hour, an hour and a half. half. Okay. Yeah, it takes, takes a while, to, especially to get through a case history, depending on the client, right? There's right. a lot of, usually sometimes, a lot of emotional issues that go along with the voice right. issue. Um, and then the more comprehensive one is two hours. And that is done with same things, the, the case history, the non-acoustic and acoustic measures with the Visi pitch, exact same thing, but we also do the video stroboscopy, which okay, looks... Okay, to us what that is. <laughs> Actually, I've sat in You've on seen that. it, yeah. I've seen yeah. it, it's pretty wild. <laughs> so it, it, for a podcast, explain what that what that is and what it does and what so, it tells you. Right, yeah, so that is... Um, so when you go to an ENT, you, typically they have the nasoendoscopy, and it looks too. at you know, the structure <laughs> of the cords, right? So what we do with the stroboscopy is we look at the function of the cords. Oh. So and it's with with real time in a stroboscopy um, light, a strobe light, and it gets to it. We get to view the movement of the cords. So it's with a rigid strobe that goes through the mouth, so it's right. not through the nose. And it just goes to the back of the throat, has a camera on the end, looks down at the vocal cords, right. and we can see them moving. And we have you do a range of, of sounds and go up and down pitch. And that way we can see exactly how you're making your cords work, right? Uh -huh. If there is tension, we can also see you know the structure as well. And if we see anything that is looking very abnormal, if the person hasn't been to an ENT yet, we can send it to an ENT for further right. diagnostic So you, know, you actually, yeah, you can see the actual vocal folds. We see them, then, yep, okay. and then and we then see the movement too, the movement. which is the real benefit of it. So it just helps kind of narrow down, you know, what path we're going to take for therapy, right. you know, if we can actually see what, what the cords are, are doing. Right. So typically if there's something that, you know, if there's nodules, I, I don't really need to do it necessarily, you know, unless the right. nodules don't go away, then we want to see why they're not going away. But right. if it's, I know already what to do for nodules. So, but if there's other issues going on that are maybe just, um, you know, not as, not as sort of typical or common, or there's no real sort of, there's no, they've seen an ENT and there's no um, structural issues there, right. then we can look and see, okay, how are you using your cords and what's going on with that? You can even see if there's enough, if there's breath escaping, like is there a full closure of the cords or is there a gap mm. or, 
you know, is there so it, it gives you a big reflux, picture like of redness, right? Ah. Is there a lot of red? We can't diagnose reflux, but we could say, you know, it's really, really red in there. So something is irritating. So you need it. to go see the ENT, yeah, the ENT now, for right? that. Yeah. Generally speaking, your fees are they covered? By not not by OHIP. Not no, by OHIP. No. Okay. So if you you know if families have coverage through their work, then there usually is okay, coverage. Okay. So some coverage through okay. work. Yes. Right. And then if not, or if, if that coverage is not enough to cover, you know, many sessions, um, we can always spread out sessions a bit so right. that they are, you know, like weekly sessions are usually ideal. That's typically the best. But right. if it can't be done bi-weekly or monthly, as long as the person has, you know, is willing to practice the strategies on their own, they would have to practice the strategies on their own if they're, if they're only doing monthly. Right. And if they have good self-awareness, good mm -hmm. kinesthetic awareness, good... Um, you know, I, I'm assuming the singers would probably have good, you know, auditory. <laughs> you would hope. <laughs> <I don't think. laughs> Sometimes. So it, as long as they can, you know, they have those that skill set, then they can, you know, we can give them Their the, work. the skills, and the strategies, and then they can follow through with that. And then also if the vocal coach has those strategies, you know, when they see them as well, if we're doing the same strategies, then that's great. They get that feedback as well as my feedback and then right. their own self-feedback. What are common speech impediments that we can address through the singing lesson. Singing, yeah. I would say um, resonance imbalance for sure. That's so helpful the, the for singing. Hyper, the, yeah, the hypernasality nasal versus yeah. oral, you know, getting that produced in the so right chamber, resonance, the, yeah, right. Mm -hmm, that for sure. Okay. And then fluency, stuttering, cluttering, mm. anything that involves like rate, rhythm, you know, the melody, like the, the prosody of uh, language, those things are mm -hmm. always great through song. Sometimes with fluency clients, it helps to um, use melody, you know, to ease into the sentence right. because they tend to want to push push the words out when they're in a block or in a, mm. a moment of, of stutter. So that is helpful. Um, there's also melodic intonation therapy, which works on uh, musical elements, uh, melody and rhythm to help people who have ex have lost their expressive language skills, like perhaps stroke clients. Oh, okay. So, um, so either partially or fully, if they've lost their ability to speak partially or fully, sometimes it's sort of reactivated through this melodic intonation therapy. Like the theory of it is that it stimulates the intact right hemisphere to facilitate speech and language recovery in the, the damaged portion of the left hemisphere. Uh, what about like like S's? You know, mm -hmm. the, the, so you've got the the lisps. Yes. Um, do, do you find that singing in general is is helps those, or is that a case by case? Basis? I think it would be case by case. case, by case. Yeah, because um, sometimes like what what I have seen. I mean, obviously the people that come to me, it is a problem, so it wouldn't be transferring to their sing. Like their error is transferring to their singing. It's right. not fixed through their singing. Right. So, um, they need help with that, so that's right. typically what I see. Is okay. it's if you're if you're having the the interdental S, the lisp, or even mm -hmm. like a lateralized lisp is where the air comes out the side, the so that's even more mouth. involved. But if that is coming through, then it comes through in the, the singing as so well. It's, it's, yeah. So there is a huge issue right now. It's very much a trend, mm -hmm. which is vocal fry. Yes. And I know that probably every voice teacher is dealing with it now. And, and especially mm -hmm. with, I, I find it's, it's girls yeah. with yeah. the females that are doing it. So can you explain what vocal fry is and mm -hmm. why it's horrible and what we can do to help our students? Yeah. With that? So vocal fry is more speaking right at the back 
of your throat. It's almost like speaking right from the source where the, the chords vibrate like in the larynx. It's speaking too low and, and back. Right. And it is almost like when we had the Valley Girl talk. It's almost like a trend in like that. Yes, I yeah. think I was one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of trending like that. But I actually, I just, I wrote a blog on that. So on our website, we'll, we'll it's not there that. yet, but it's, okay. it's coming up. <laughs> It'll be posted soon. But anyway, um, yeah, it is. it can be dangerous over time. Like if it's done over time, it's just not a... A clear way to to make the the resonant to resonate right. the voice like it should be resonated from the oral cavity and more forward more right. of a forward placement not a back, back placement now why is it called vocal fry that's the official term for it isn't yeah it? I thought yeah. that was kind of just a casual but no it, why is it called fry? I think just because it sounds like uh, the, it sounds almost like popping, frying, like frying. Popping. Okay. yeah <laughs> awesome now I had a lot of colleagues that wanted to know about um, tongue tension mm -hmm. so tips or suggestions for for helping students singers release tongue tension now release, obviously yeah. there's more than one reason why somebody has tongue tension mm -hmm. so what are mm -hmm. some of your recommendations or strategies that that we could apply in sometimes i don't day? know if you've heard of the tongue out phonation like where you hang the tongue out i make my students do that all the time yeah uh and thank goodness this isn't a video podcast because we're going to sit here with our tongues hanging out i i do that and they it often ends up in laughing and and but uh, so so pulling the tongue out and yeah and just kind of hanging it out uh like with a yawn and a sigh okay. Uh, and just kind of hanging the tongue out like that. <laughs> I love it. Reduces love it. It, the tongue tension. And you can you can actually massage underneath, like underneath the, um, the mandible there. There's okay. the, the soft part, and you can actually massage the tongue under oh, there too. Oh, okay. That's another technique. Now, what what do you recommend for someone with with TMJ like TMJ that? yeah so there there are you know just the the typical like massage, massage of the TMJ into the, into the... and then there's myofascial release techniques which are really good which which even just stretch like you can you put your palms on okay. that area the TMJ joint and then you just pull and stretch oh, so... and you kind of just hang out there you just leave it you don't even have to consistently pull once you get it open oh. You just hang out there. Okay, so, okay, podcast again. So we've got our hands. We're sitting at Linda's desk. We have our hands on our, on our, on our cheeks. Yeah, yeah. And then if your table is high enough, you, you can rest your... You can rest oh, your... I mean, our table's low, so it's not really but conducive just, to posture, but... You can just rest your elbows on the table, and then you just kind of pull, oh, and you can feel and it. you can open. feel it. Yeah, you can yeah. really feel that... that tension in the jaw yeah yeah exactly nice there's also something actually I don't know if you've heard of this but with the pterygoid um, and muscle in the mouth so you yeah. can do like this is also hard to describe without video but you put your finger into the oh, back I've so your had, nail is against the teeth yes yeah and you just hang out there in the pterygoid I've had my massage therapist do that yeah they put the gloves on and mm -hmm. they get in there and I have to say that the first time I had it done it was a little just a little little <laughs> disturbing but I have to say the relief yeah, was almost it right instantaneous yeah. and um, it was quite remarkable mm -hmm. afterwards and uh, that's where I find the most pe most people can feel that like yeah. right if they can't feel this right away they can right. feel the the opening like the pocket there the right. pterygoid where the pterygoid muscle sits it just opens right up and they wow. can just feel that right away and they if I do one side and then not the other side they can feel the difference and I'll do the other side it's like oh wow that just wow. completely okay. opened Th up. that's a great yeah. tip excellent one of the common questions again that came up from some of the colleagues mm -hmm. is um, how can we help someone who struggles with 
the R's. Mm -hmm. R's mm -hmm. that sound like W's. The R is, is a, it's a more challenging sound, you know, mm -hmm. because it's, the R is produced, it's, it's all tense tongue uh, movement. So really the lips don't have a big part in there. So when, when kids are doing the, or any student is doing a W for an R, they're using their lips way more than their tongue. Okay. So the tongue really needs to be, um, there's two ways to do an R. There's a retroflexed R, which right. is sort of the tongue is curled up and back. Right. And the tongue should be sort of mid palate to back. You don't want to go too far back. Right. Or then it ends up sounding like they're swallowing their tongue. Right. <laughs> Or there's a, a bunched R. So that's when the tongue tip is down and the back of the tongue is back it's, it's, more. Okay. So you, first, like that's why this one really needs to be combined sort of with, with a speech pathologist because you have to figure out which way the student is more comfortable producing the R first. Right. It's hard, if you're teaching them a way that they're not naturally using or right. they're not as comfortable with with their tongue, then it's going to be more work and it's just not going to sound as natural. Uh -huh. So it's a lot, yeah, it's a lot to do with, with tongue movement. Right. And then also, is there any, with that, is there any oral motor weakness? Like if they have oral motor weakness, then their tongue, can they, you know, even physically get their tongue there? That is something definitely a speech language pathologist deals with. Is, yeah. Is you have to assess the problem carefully exactly. and, and discover why. Why they're doing it. Why they're doing it and then what's the best. Yeah. Because if they're treatment. not even stimulable to get that R in the first place, then you can't really work on it until they get that stimulability mm -hmm. there. And if a child, usually by six or seven, a child will have the R. So if right. it's persisted long past that, then it's a little bit, it's, you know, you can still remediate it, of course, but it's harder to because they've been practicing the they've wrong way for even for longer. Right. So it won't resolve necessarily on its own. Like you right. definitely need intervention with that. So, right. yeah. And I think that's something that I, I think, you know, singing teachers have to recognize is that, um, you know, we need to have strategies for these things, but, but there are obviously more than one reason why someone struggles with something. Yeah, exactly. And it yeah. could be a very, uh, a very long history of something that mm -hmm. is really outside of a voice teacher's yes. um, uh, skill set, and and that that's why we really do need to work and have other yeah, professionals in conjunction, right? In mm -hmm. conjunction, and and you know, it's it's kind of like you know, the family doctor sends you to this doctor and that, and it's yeah. the same thing in the, in the teaching studio. Right. Um, so one of my colleagues is obviously working with a child with Down syndrome. And her question is, um, I'm finding the students with Down syndrome have thicker tongues and the shape of their vowels uh, are more awkward. They, she's, so singing teachers are working on getting a pure vowel sound. And right. she's struggling because she's finding the tongue is in the way. Right. Um, and uh, if you have any suggestions on how to work with someone mm -hmm. uh, with this condition. Yes, yes. So for this specific um, uh, client group population down syndrome I haven't I don't have a lot of experience with down syndrome so I did ask uh, the owner of the clinic Shanda Hunter Trache so she did recommend some things so I'll just tell you what she recommended okay, great <laughs> so she said um, yes she agreed that the thicker and generally larger tongues make it more difficult to vary and purify the the vowel sounds they often you have to work more with jaw movement okay. to shape the resonating cavities so increasing the jaw excursion and overemphasizing facial lip movement because typically Down syndrome have low tone, right? Right. Um, and reduced range of motion of the articulators. Uh, okay. So working on getting that 
that jaw and and um, the mandible area more right. open right. definitely helps, and increasing movements can also help in shaping shaping the the resonating cavities. Um, also, there's also some training with respect to increasing control at the velopharyngeal levels to increase uh, airflow right. and resonance balance, oral versus nasal sounds oh, too. Okay. Okay. So yeah, so there's there's a lot because sometimes the velopharyngeal port there, it's it's right at the back. Right. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with mm -hmm. that. Or mm -hmm. Okay. So if it's not working properly, it may be. Um, you know, it's not closing properly, so it doesn't close oh, off the I nasal see. resonating so, so chamber. Air gets so up. again, it's hypernasality. Uh, right? Air yes. gets up and over there. So right. sometimes that is an, is an issue okay. as well. But she, she can always contact um, Shanda directly, the person who had that specific client. Oh, perfect, perfect. Yeah, well, to... we'll definitely put all our contacts yeah. and information <laughs> on there. So I think that's that's the, the gist of this podcast is to not be afraid to reach out right. to a speech-language pathologist, mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. uh, whether it's to ask questions or to refer a student. I think that's right. so important. Okay, is there a music therapist here? You know what? Here? It's interesting. We just started talking about that, <laughs> getting oh, a music what? therapist in, because <laughs> we did. Uh, we had uh, had somebody come in who is a musical therapist. So we were we talked about that for especially for early language development. It's right. really great for mm -hmm. that. So we're just trying to figure out how we're going to coordinate that one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. But it, yeah, it's definitely. But that would be part of that would make sense to be part of your team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Also with um, ASD autism spectrum. Disorders. That's okay. it's very good for that population oh, too. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> I have one more question that came from one of uh, one of the um, uh, my colleagues. So um, she's she was asking on thoughts about working with impaired vocal function due to the result of chemotherapy. Now, obviously, mm -hmm. you don't know the all of the details, mm -hmm. but what are some of your yeah. experiences with that? I know from working with patients that have gone through chemotherapy that they experience a lot of dryness in the throat and they just cannot get rid of this feeling. So obviously hydration is a big one that is that is important. Um, but yeah, other than that, <laughs> it's, it's hard because it's dry, dryness and usually rawness, that raw feeling. So I think it takes a long time to recover from therapy. the effects of chemotherapy and everybody is different in that road to recovery as well. Right. So I think for them to frequent visits to the ENT to get checked right. on that is is helpful just to see how the yeah. how the throat is recovering because I know I've had I've had people or how the you know the larynx is recovering. I've had people that like all different all different stages and have recovered all differently right. from the the, the post treatment. chemotherapy. Yeah. So it's um yeah, it's a tricky one, I think. I don't know that um, I think it would take a team of professionals. You know, yes, I don't, I don't yes, know. Yes, I agree just, with you there. Yeah, the vocal coach on their on their own could just you know solve those those problems. Right. No, I, I don't yeah, think. That. I, I think, think it's a bigger picture. Thank you mm -hmm. very very <laughs> much for your time today. It has been wonderful speaking with you. I have a feeling that we might have to do this again. Yeah, I have a feeling great. that we'll have some more questions. <laughs> and and uh, and I know that you and I will keep in touch because we uh, we have shared students slash clients yes. um, and I want to thank you for your time and your expertise and uh, we're going to put a link to this wonderful clinic uh, okay. SL Hunter and Speechworks and um, also you've got a blog coming That's up right. and you're, you've written something on Vocal Fry yes. so we'll make sure that we link to that so so people mm -hmm. can get uh, uh, get your um, your information on, on Vocal uh, 
vocal fry, right? That's right. Yep. And uh, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. Yeah, awesome. thank you for the opportunity. That's oh, great. my pleasure. Thank <laughs> you so much. You have been listening to the Full Voice Podcast. For more information and free teacher resources, please visit our website at www.thefullvoice.com. Canoe Music. Canoe Music.ca.